Awesome. I encourage you to give as part of your worship. The ushers are going to come and collect that. If you do it online, that's awesome. Do it with joy as an act of worship as well. I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles to Titus chapter 3, and that's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to take a look at the first few verses. And if you're not used to navigating a Bible, it's got an index always at the front, whether it's an electronic version or a paper version, and you can find the book of Titus right towards the end of the Bible. It's a very short little book, but it's great. It's packed with all kinds of awesome stuff, and so we want to take a look at the first three verses of Titus chapter 3 today, and so I'm going to read those out loud for us. He says, Remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. They must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. Once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. But. When God our Savior revealed His kindness and love, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because of His grace, He declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. These teachings are good and beneficial for everyone. I want to just take a few minutes to unpack this passage, which really fits perfectly with the testimonies that we've heard, right? These are baptism testimonies, testimonies of new life, of people whose lives have been changed because they put their faith in Jesus and they become what the Bible calls a believer, someone who trusts in the Lord. And this passage describes what happens inside the heart of a person when they become a Christian in a variety of different images and pictures, but in a very tight, just couple of verses. So it fits just perfect today. And I want to pick up at verse 3. I'm going to leave the instructions in those first couple of verses to the end because Paul, when he gives some instructions in terms of how Christians are supposed to act, he gives it very briefly and then immediately reminds Christians, now here's why. Here's why you act this way. Here's the foundation for actually being good. And it's important that we get that order right. So we start with verses 3, talking about being foolish and disobedient. He says, once we too were foolish and disobedient, misled, we became slaves to many lusts and pleasures, our lives full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. This is what we call the fallen condition. This is what it means to be lost. It's to be foolish and disobedient. If you're here and visiting and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, that's insulting, right? What is this guy standing up here telling me I'm foolish and disobedient? It's not me. I'm reading Scripture. This is how God describes our situation. And notice what the Apostle Paul says, right? He's not talking about them over there. He says, we too used to be like this. And Paul was a very religious guy. But he understood that inside the heart of every person... Apart from Jesus Christ is foolishness and disobedience, right? Sin and evil. That's part of how we actually as Christians cultivate humility. 
You notice at the very end of verse 2, he's advising them to act with true humility. Sounds awesome. Nobody can actually do that. The only way you do that is through Christ. And it begins by realizing, oh yeah, I used to be like that. I used to be foolish and disobedient. I used to deny God. I used to resist Him. And that gives us great humility when we're working with other people who are in that situation still. Because it's not us who pulled us out, it's God who pulled us out. But we do have to be aware. And that's true for all of us. Not just for people who lived like hell until they became a Christian. Right? I grew up in church my whole life. I grew up in a godly Christian home. Great parents. I knew right from wrong. I did right most of the time. I knew in school, fighting is not good. But there was part of me, I wanted to fight. <laughs> so I was the biggest in the class. And there were kids who would mouth off at me. And there was a great temptation. I knew it was wrong, but part of me wanted to do it. And I knew I'd win, you know. I might go to the principal's office, but it'd be worth it. <laughs> Defend yourself, <laughs> right? So it doesn't matter if I didn't fight, right? The sin was there. The desire to do evil, it's the foolishness and the disobedience. We have to be aware that we're all, we're like that. And that gives us compassion for those who are stuck and still like that. Still good news. We don't wallow in it, but it is our old life. There's this wonder, wonderful passage in Ephesians chapter 2 where Paul's talking about the same thing. And he uses this phrase, he says, once you were dead. Which is a really odd phrase when you think about it. Only a Christian can relate to that. Once you were dead. But that's an old life, right? A dead life, and now we've been made in Christ a new life. And then Paul goes on to unpack this in the next couple of verses. So verse 4 is the second point there, God the revealer. Salvation, that process of salvation, always begins with God. It doesn't begin with us. Even the realization that we're foolish and disobedient is a gift from God. He's the one who opens our eyes to realize, oh my goodness, what on earth is going on? This life is not working. And God starts to reveal his mercy, his love, his compassion. These are some of the things that are described in this passage. God reveals himself in a million different ways. But this is a crucial first step in salvation. And the people who were sharing up here were identifying some of those ways, right? That God was beginning to reveal himself to them in new ways. And they were realizing, I need to give my life over to God in response to this revelation. As Christians who pray and reach out to friends and family who don't know Jesus, this is one of the primary things that we pray for. We pray, Father, please reveal yourself to you know, my friend, my family member who doesn't know you. It, salvation begins with that, and so we ask him to do that. Praise God that God doesn't want to hide himself. Isn't that good news? He could, right? He could say, look, I'm amazing. You guys stink. I'm going to hide myself, and we're going to play a game of hide and seek. It's going to be like Clue. You're going to have to figure out who done it. You know? I had to pull Clue into it. This is a Clue set. Right? God did it. <laughs> there is no who done it. It begins with him begins with his revelation. 
then we receive a world of good. Verses 5 to 7 is this really packed set of descriptions about what God has done for us. It says from verse 5, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured the Spirit on us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because of His grace, He declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Right? These are just some of the great things we receive. These are not cliches. This is real salvation. So when, Christ, when Christians talk about being saved, when Christians talk about being born again, we're talking about something real. That's actually new life. In our culture, sometimes those words are used as cliches, but they're not cliches for us. We really are saved. <laughs> we really are born again and given a brand new life in Christ. Our sins are washed away. How are they washed away? We talk about as Christians, they're washed away by the blood of Jesus. Well, that sounds really weird. Yeah, it does sound weird. But in the context of the Bible, we understand that there's a sacrifice for sin that washes it clean. It's only the blood of Jesus that washes clean. Otherwise, blood makes things red and gross. But the blood of Jesus washes away sin. That's what he did for us dying on the cross for us. That's what these baptism stories celebrate. In Psalm 51, David writes about his salvation and asks the Lord, Lord, restore to me the joy that I used to feel about my salvation, that I would realize how amazing it is. That's one of the things I want to encourage you to ask the Lord today. If you don't feel joy, if those terms are just like, yeah, yeah, I believe that. Yeah, I'm a believer. Yeah, I'm born again. Yeah. But there's no joy. There's no passion. Let's ask the Lord for that because it's an incredible gift, this gift of salvation that he's given to us. And it's the Holy Spirit that does that work. It's the Holy Spirit who makes it real, right? As Christians, we don't sit around with our nose pressed up against the glass of spiritual life, wishing somehow it was real for us. I think it was Ivy who talked in her own story, right, about that wanting to actually experience the reality of God's presence in some kind of tangible way. That's a good desire. We should all desire that. And it's the Holy Spirit who makes it real, who makes it alive. When I was in high school, through a long series of circumstances, I found myself at a, a, what was a basically a men's Bible study in a basement, and a bunch of guys were there. I was about 16 years old, so I was by far that young. I was the only teenager there anyways. And uh, these guys were on fire for Jesus. Like, they were excited about their salvation. When they started singing, the guy was banging on the piano, and everybody had their hands raised and was singing at the top of their lungs. And I'd never been around a group of Christians like that who were so excited about following Jesus. Even though I'd grown up in church. They had a little Bible study, then they had a prayer time. And by the end, I was like, I was ready. I, I was like... Hey, I don't know what you guys got, but I don't have that. I would love to experience that kind of joy and excitement. I didn't really know exactly that I was asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not even sure if I use that language. Didn't matter. God knew what I was asking, and those guys knew. <laughs> this is what we're going to pray for. They prayed for me. It was a great experience. Outwardly, nothing really happened. You know, it was kind of like it was done. All right. Then I went home, still excited because it's like, wow, that had been an awesome time of fellowship. The next time at, day I'm at school, and uh, my wife Connie, who was here at the first service, we were dating already back in high school. 
And as soon as she sees me, she's just like, well, what happened to you? I'm like, I don't know. Well, something's different. Something happened. I'm like, well, I went to this Bible study with these guys last night. <laughs> well, what did you guys do? You know, and so I described it. And by the end of my description, she was like, well, can I come to there? Will they pray for me? I'm like, uh, well, there was all guys, but I think some of the wives were having coffee upstairs. I'm sure you could talk to them. And the next month, she came along, hung out with the ladies, asked the same thing. Will you pray for me? And she was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the way we experienced that, because like I said, at the time, it kind of, uh, there wasn't anything tangible really that happened. But what started to happen in the days after that is as I was reading the Bible, which I had read before many times, it's like the Bible's really starting to come alive. I feel like God's speaking through His Word. When I would pray, it was like, I feel like I'm actually talking to God when I pray. And here and there, I actually feel like God is talking back to me. This is great. When we were in church singing songs, I'd always loved music. I always sang. But now I feel like I am really singing to the Lord. We're actually having this communion, this relationship through worship. And there were a bunch of other things that happened as well. But they were all related, right, to the Holy Spirit bringing salvation alive. Making the born-again experience not just a term that you use, not just an idea that you agree to, Right? But an ongoing transformation that you experience through his power. You'll have an opportunity to pray with someone at the end. I want to encourage you. If that's been your experience where it's just like, I believe these things, but they feel like they're at a distance, ask for the Holy Spirit to fill you with power and the reality of what it means to be saved, to be born again. Then there's the new life of doing good that should flow from all these things. And I'll invite the worship team to come on up. In Christianity, here's how Christianity works, right? God does the revealing. God does the saving. He gives us new life. We take the very simple step of putting our faith in Jesus Christ and receiving all of these wonderful gifts that he's given to us by dying on the cross for us and being raised to new life. Then from out of that, we start to act differently. We start to actually do good things. The kinds of things that Paul started this passage with. Religion, the way a lot of us are being raised, again, I'm not picking on Ivy, but uh, Ivy's story was about, about grow, growing up in Catholic church. And often in the Catholic church, this is how it is, right? That's turned upside down. I start with good works, okay? I work hard to try and be a good person so that I can prove to God that I'm worthy. And if I'm worthy enough, then maybe God will give me this gift of assurance of salvation or knowledge that my sins have been washed away because I've done these good things. I've gotten myself up to the level of like, okay, now you're qualified to be a believer by virtue of the fact that you've worked hard. The gospel message of Christianity actually turns that totally upside down. It says, no, no, <laughs> good works, that's the last thing that you're going to produce. The first thing is just faith in Jesus because he's done it. And that's what people are expressing in baptism. That's why baptism is such a great picture, right? Because it's such a, um, it's such a vulnerable thing. A person is going to sit in water and they're not going to do anything, right? The person is going to dunk them. They have to just relax and lean back. That's it. 
and they're going to get dunked in water and brought back up. And it's a picture of, right, my old life is dead. I now have new life in Jesus Christ. Right? The water itself doesn't wash the sin away. It's the blood of Jesus that we've trusted in, but baptism is a spectacular picture and affirmation publicly of that new life. But think about that when you watch the people get baptized, right? They're totally passive. Baptism is being applied to you. You're not doing anything. <laughs> you're, getting, you're just getting wet. But in Christ, it's a very powerful picture of salvation for us. These good works that Paul asks the people to do in those first couple of verses are, they're manifold, right? There's a thousand good works. I, I, don't, I just want to focus on verses 1 and 2. I want to leave that idea broadly of good works to Pastor Ken for next week. But in those first couple of verses, it's just incredibly practical, right? His good works that he's asking them to do is obey the government. <laughs> what? Really? Like just like that? Yeah, be a good citizen. Pay your taxes. <laughs> Pull over when the police pull <laughs> lights go on behind you. Everybody hates that. It's just the worst feeling in the world when those lights go on and you realize they're not driving past you, they're behind you. Ah! Right? <laughs> you just pull over and be polite and treat the police officer with the respect that they're due. That's the basic kind of idea that Paul's talking about. They'll complain and whine. Let's be obedient. And I mean, let's face it, folks, this is what we do as Americans. We complain about politics, right? It's one of our favorite things to do, right? People have entire careers built around complaining about politics. <laughs> and Paul's like, no, no, don't gossip and slander. In Timothy, we're called simply to pray. Pray for those in authority over us. But otherwise, to be model citizens in terms of how we treat people who are in authority of us or over us and to act with true humility. How can we do that? We do that because we're celebrating our salvation, how we've been delivered and saved, and out of that we can actually act in humility and do those kinds of good works. I invite you to stand. We want to pray. Worship team's going to lead us as we respond. Let me challenge you in a couple of very specific ways. Uh, number one, for, for some of you, you need to pray for some lost friends and family and realize that, look, they're living in foolishness and disobedience just like we were. And you need to have a fresh compassion for them. And just come and pray and ask for that compassion for them, that mercy for them, and then pray and ask for God to reveal himself, right? To demonstrate who he is to them, to make Jesus real so that they can embrace him by faith. That's a critical role that we have. For others, you need to be renewed in the joy of your salvation, right? To just come and say, you know, Lord, I haven't said thanks for you saving me for a long time. I want to say thanks for saving me. Thanks for causing me to be born again. Maybe you need to get baptized as the next step, an expression of that thanksgiving. And obviously, you have an opportunity to do that. You can talk to one of the pastors about that. So maybe you need to ask for that joy to be restored. For some of you, you need to specifically ask for the Holy Spirit to come and fill you fresh, to make this real, to make it alive. And there'll be a few prayer ushers on the side that you can go and ask. Please pray for me to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't keep your nose pressed up against the window of real Christianity and then still feel like it's at arm length when you walk out the door. That's no good. Experience it. The Lord wants to meet you today. Let's pray together.